Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 189. This is an episode in our special series recorded live from the Podcast Central at Build. We bring you the best guests for some of the best announcements. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Okay, we are sitting down with Mike Harsh, Group Program Manager on the Windows Platform team, and our favorite guest, uh, repeat guest, <laughs> not favorite, favorite repeat, repeat offender. guest, repeat offender, Scott Hunter, Director of Program Management for the .NET Platform. How's it going, guys? Good. How you guys doing? Yeah, we can get a new favorite guest, you know, after this episode. Well, <laughs> it's actually awesome. This is this is like the last day of build, and all of our sessions are over. So it's really awesome now. <laughs> yeah. That's the best thing ever. They have mimosas over there. I know. I have one right here. <laughs> there is no oh, stress left. Those. Correction. There's some mimosas right here. <laughs> the bits shipped. Sorry the bits about worked. that. I guess I demos should've... all worked. So we're in good shape here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say you guys got to be winding down, but you're probably getting pretty squirrely now. <laughs> yeah, no, we're getting ready for you know to put together another eight, ten hours of keynotes. Just like uh, just like Monday morning. <laughs> I'm doing a keynote in two weeks, actually, in uh, Madrid, Spain. There you go. .NET awesome. 2018. Awesome. So anyway, like you guys are killing it. I mean, I think I think this is like one of the big highlights of the show. This is one of the big things that people are talking about, and uh, I think it's great because you know in in former builds we always had like here's this new you know Windows feature and it, the tech press would like ooh and ah and they you know they liked getting a, a good story out of it and people could sort of say like oh yeah I see what you're talking about, but this I mean this really is to me is like the spirit of build like some of the announcements that you had because this is like helping developers at the core helping them with productivity helping them bring their code forward so like to me that's like what build is really about so i think you know you guys are really the stars of the show this year so (laughs) well i mean the you know one of the the big things you know and i said this at the beginning of our session uh yesterday too it's it's really the um you know listening to what customers have to say and responding to their needs are our yeah. thing that's, you know, the .NET team has been really awesome at traditionally. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams under in the, in the Azure world are, are super great at, and, you know, in the, in the windows side, um, we're really excited to be, you know, kind of now working with Scott goo and Jason Sanders yeah. because we really get, uh, we can now take a lot of the, the ideas and things that we wanted to, to do and really, you know, respond to customer feedback and we can now make that reality. And so it's, it's really, uh, it's, just a total breath of fresh air. Yeah. Cause I know like one of the things, you know, Scott, when you came up to me, you were like, Hey, .NET 2.1, you know, it has like new HTTP client performance and it's like a 10 X improvement. I mean, like that's the stuff to me that's like super cool. Like I wish that, you know, that's, you know, the tech press doesn't like to write about that, but like, that's the stuff that I think is really cool. And I think that's what developers get excited about. So, I mean, that's the thing that traditionally with Joe's, uh, Joe's, you know, keynote yeah. sessions, right. It's like, it's pixels yeah. and, and consumer features. And that's of course what, like you said, the tech press likes to talk about it because yeah. it's, it's easy to understand and get your head around exactly. it and visualize it and it makes for good pictures and yeah. articles and things. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's if it's not powered by awesome software and easy to use for developers and kind of plug into for developers, it doesn't matter. And if you have to write a new app from scratch to use it, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah. But I still think there's like a really awesome story around .NET Core. Uh, you know, just kind of summarize up in my words, .NET Core 1 really brought that like cross-compatibility, like really kind of reset, you know, what 
a vision of a framework could be. .NET Core 2 kind of like filled in all the stuff that had to get dropped for the first version to come out. What's, what's the story, in your guys' opinion, for .NET Core 3? So .NET Core 3 came, uh, we started talking, I don't know how long ago, Mike, it, it was. We were sitting there talking about, we have all these developers um, that build applications on top of Windows today. And in some ways, as you were just saying, we build a lot of new stuff. And that new stuff is great if you want to build a brand new app from scratch. Um, but if you, you have lots of existing apps... And we started asking ourselves, how do we go take all these developers that have, that have been on the bandwagon with us for a long time using WinForms and WPF and make them feel like they've not been left behind? And, and what I mean by that is they already have apps. Mm -hmm. And all they want to do is they want to make their app work great on the latest platform with the latest high-res monitors, the latest Windows features. Um, they don't necessarily want to rewrite the app from scratch just to go build the same functionality in some other technology. Um, and so we started brainstorming year, you know, it feels like about a year ago. I think it was probably actually not that far from that. Um, yeah. About, you know, what if we brought WinForms and WPF to .NET Core? Um, that also makes those people feel good again because, you know, we always are talking about the shiny new things, the UWP and the .NET Core. And if you're on some of the older tech, you might not feel like you're getting the same love from us, even though that's awesome tech. And so it's like, let's bring those things and those developers onto our brand new .NET Core platform um, and give them some of the benefits of .NET Core uh, along the way. That is super cool. So I just want to dive into that. Like, what is what does that actually mean? Because I know it. You know, I've I've created WinForms and WPF applications uh, a long time ago, and I know like people sort of do get stuck on that. So like, what what opportunities do they have today now with these announcements? The the big things that you get um, that's that's the big question in the room is you know what do you get by moving your WinForm and WPF app to, app yep. to .NET Core um, and if you roll all the way back, to, as you were saying, in, in uh, .NET Core 1, we try to solve a couple of, of technical problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that our web customers told us is, hey, we have a server. It's got 30 applications. Um, I want to take, take advantage of async await. That means I need to put 4.5 on the box. Hey, Scott, I, I really, I get the, they actually called me. I, <laughs> I get a phone call from some rep at Microsoft saying, hey, can you talk to company XYZ? And I'm on the phone with their people. And they're like, hey, can we install the framework, can you guarantee us that all the apps are going to work the same? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and you know my answer to that is going to be, there's no way I'm going to guarantee that. Uh, you need to build another server and put 4.5 on the other server and right. put the new app over there, and you can move apps one by one to see if they work. Um, and so that was a core thing that we wanted to fix in .NET Core, which is you don't have to have one single machine global version of .NET. You can have as many side by side by side as you want. And then you as, a, as the developer or the IT group can determine what policy is, whether the apps can roll forward, whether the app sticks to the version, um, how you service it. Um, and so that's also the same problem we find with desktop developers. If you're a WinForm WPF customer today, mm -hmm. um, you know, now that we're shipping Windows even faster, every six months you get a brand new version of Windows, which, with typically, a brand new version of which, which typically contains a brand new version of .NET yeah. Framework, things might break. And so our customers quit breaking us. And so getting you onto .NET Core means you're not going to have, you know, .NET's, the, the .NET you're on is not a Windows component, uh, which means you control the update cycle for it. You can wire an app to stay on a particular version. You can have as many side-by-side -side as you want. So we're giving you, you the same controls we gave the web developer. Um, you, get, you get other benefits, too. Um, you can have, have the choice of having a machine-global.net, or you can have an app-local.net. App local so if you want to build a WinForm app 
and put .NET in the same folder as it, you can. Okay. Now, your, your first reaction might be, oh, that's, that sounds terrible. I'm going to have a 1.5 gig Hello World WinForm application. <laughs> um, and that's not the case. .NET well, Core's I, I would also oh, like argue, three, really, right? Yeah. I would also argue, I mean, the space is cheap enough. Like, that, that, that's usually like the last concern actually is. The it's space. actually I think three gigs. Would, one gig well, would yeah, be, obviously. One gig would be pushing it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but to your point, though, like that is some feedback that we've gotten from a couple customers we've talked to is like, you know, Obviously, they don't want it to be huge, but yeah. it's like you said, they're like, listen, we have big iron. We're throwing yeah. at this from a desktop perspective, and they have a bunch of disk space. And like, you know, obviously, they don't want to use it if they don't have to, but they have it if they need it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why there's only one .NET framework on a machine today mm-hmm. is as the Windows group, we were trying to make Windows as small as possible because we want to run on as many devices and tablets and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And carrying, you know, five .NETs around is not exactly the, the best way to do that. But as, as Mike says, when you go talk to some of these enterprise customers, they're like, we can solve the disk space problem. Don't worry about the disk space. Yeah. Um, and so with Core, we'll enable people to have as many of these things as they want. Um, but I was going to say, one of the demos we did on Monday and then again on Tuesday with Mike is we took a, a WinForm app, uh, compiled it against .NET Core, and uh, we have a linker. And the linker can basically, at, at this point, the linker we showed throws away any assemblies that you're actually not using in the That's application. Really cool. yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, we had a, a WinForm app with a Telerik control and .NET Core, and linked it was about 66 megs. Awesome. Uh, that's not doing hardcore linking, though. We, right. can, we can link stuff outside, in, inside of assemblies as well. So I think you're going to find that, that file size go down yeah. quite considerably after that. So that's, that's the second benefit. The third benefit is um, what we call core effects. Uh, so CoreFX is the BCL that .NET Core runs on. And it is actually different than the BCL that .NET Framework runs on. They started in the same place. But .NET Framework, because it's that global thing and we can't break any compatibility, mm-hmm. we really try not to touch that thing. Um, now, CoreFX, because .NET Core side-by-side, side, we're taking fixes that we would never have done ourselves because it's open source, mm-hmm. which means maybe there's a bug that I, I never hits my radar because I've got 5,000 higher priority bugs in front of that. Well, now anybody in the open source community can go, I want that bug fixed, and they'll submit a pull request. And so we've got bug fixes in CoreFX that don't exist in .NET Framework. Same customers might go and say, this is slow, and here's a rewrite of this to make it go faster. Once again, that's in, that's in our thing. And so as part of our demo yesterday as well, we showed that uh, this WinForm app, what it did is it basically scanned all the files in a folder and, draw, and, and wrote a pie, a pie chart for each folder in, the, in, the, in each subfolder in the folder. Um, and the perf, the, the .NET Core version was twice as fast, more than twice as fast as the .NET Framework version. And that's because the file enumeration, enumeration APIs are just faster um, in Core um, also, we didn't show it, but the, those file enumeration APIs also work better. Um, the ones in .NET Framework, if you, if you enumerate all your files starting at the root of your drive, mm-hmm. as soon as they hit a folder that's not accessible, it throws an exception. Well, that makes no sense. If you're trying to map your yeah. hard drive, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to deal with the fact that it, it stops right. as soon as it hits <laughs> something it, it can't see? Yeah. That's technically a bug, but I won't fix that bug because if I fix it, it's going to break the behavior of the... If, yeah. you're, if you depend on that behavior... On it, yeah. um, but in CoreFX... They could around it. We actually yeah. fixed it. Um, and so you're going to get a newer version of the BCL that's faster, has bug fixes in places that we would never, never change in .NET Framework. So you're going to get a better 
a better.net, side by side, app local, um, .net core, linking, bundling, you're going to get a bunch of new stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the .net that, that because it's side by side, we can change more. Yeah. Um, so what happens, you know, you know, I take my application and, you know, I, I retarget it so it's using .NET Core 3, but I have a bunch of dependencies that mm-hmm. might not be updated. How does that work? So with .NET Core 2, in that wave, we actually introduced something called .NET Standard 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's really not, it was not really a .NET Core feature. Um, it was something that, that uh, Mike's team worked on, my team worked on, and it was all about having a consistent set of APIs across all the .NETs. So we basically took all the, all the .NET that was not UI code and um, made it the same across all the platforms, meaning the .NET Framework supported all the set of APIs, .NET Core supported this entire set of APIs, UWP supported this set of APIs, Xamarin supported this set of APIs. And so what that means is when we were done, um, roughly 75% of NuGet.org worked on, on, Start of the box. on .NET Standard. The stuff that didn't work used UI. Um, and so what I think you're going to find is the API compatibility in .NET Core is so good now, most of your code is just going to run. Yeah. And a um, lot of that happened in .NET Core 2, right? It did. Yeah. Uh, we added those APIs to UWP in that wave. We added those APIs to .NET Core in that wave. .NET Framework already had the APIs. Um, and we added the APIs to Xamarin in okay. that wave as well. So basically, .NET Standard in .NET Core 3 is the way that you brought forward WinForms and WPF? Is not, that right? Not, not those. We would not, okay. we would not put... Uh, oh, okay. Because those... The, okay. WPF and WinForms yeah. are Windows-only components. Right. So they, I can't make... You're not going to have okay. WinForms on Xamarin. You're not going right, to have right. WinForms on, on some of these things. And so we only... Forms on Tizen? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we have Xamarin Forms on Tizen. I, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're, they're rocking the H-Wins on, on Tizen. Well, I don't think, I don't think leave, they are. you got to leave stuff for next year. But, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, don't, we don't put... We don't put platform specific stuff in the standard, but but yeah. what I mean by that is most of the APIs that any of your .NET code calls probably are there already. We also ship something that's that's coming in the in the .NET Core two one wave called the .NET uh, Windows Compatibility Pack, mm-hmm. and that brings a bunch of the APIs that are Windows only mm-hmm. as a NuGet package to core users. That things things like system drawing, directory services. So I'm going to guess between .NET Standard two, the Windows Compatibility Pack. I think your code's going to come and run for the most part. And if it doesn't, it's going to be changing a few lines of code, not changing thousands or millions of lines of code to make your app work. That's very cool. So the other question I have is, like, since, you know, WinForms and WPF, you know, are, have been around for a long time, uh, the, project file system, or the project files have changed a bunch over the years. Yes. So how does, you know, can you use the new style, SDK style projects uh, files with uh, WinForms and WPF now? If you retarget your WinForm and WPF application to .NET Core 3, yep. you'll get the new SDK-style CS Proj. Awesome. And what other benefits do you get out of that SDK-style projects uh, that our listeners might not be familiar if they haven't done that? The, the, big, the big things that we did in the project system, uh, that we call, we call it the SDK-CS Proj project system. And we built it because as we were doing .NET Core 1.0, one of our, our core tenets back in the days was we want to enable anybody on any device to build a, a, a .NET application. That, may, my, that might mean you're on a Mac with VI, mm-hmm. uh, you're on Linux with Atom, who knows what, what uh, OS or what uh, editor you're on. And we were asking ourselves, is it possible to build a .NET application from uh, a regular text editor? At the time, 
the CS project, project system that we had uh, for .NET projects required a three or four hundred lines of XML. Yeah. Here's every single file to, I want to, to actually yeah. make that thing work. Um, and so we went to a simplified CS project that could be hand typed. Um, that's that's one benefit of the of the new project system. The second benefit is uh, which uh, Jason was just hitting on, which is my my favorite <laughs> feature, is in the old CS project you have to have an item for every every source file in your application. Well, in the this world we're thinking of, I just want to go and add a new file to my project or in, in the folder with my code, and it should just compile up. Yep. And so the new CS project system will just pick up files in the folder automatically. Um, huge benefit to the customer is it means your, your CS project file doesn't change every time you add a file. Uh, you really see that when you do merges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be that every time if you added a file to a project, if a developer pulls yep. that code, oh, dang, my CS project needs to be merged, and it's going to be some ugly... Yeah, um, yep. it could even be corrupt. It was really yeah. So, so now you're only going to merge the file that you actually uh, added yeah. in. So that's you, awesome. Those are two of the big benefits. But it, it really comes down to as we were reimagining .NET Core and reimagining .NET, simple. We want .NET to be simple. Um, it should be put files in a folder, run them. Not uh, and, and you know. <laughs> and by the way, nothing is wrong with the old system. Um, at, at, in that era, mm-hmm. everybody had Visual Studio. And you know, we never even thought of what was in the CS project because it just took care of it for you. Right. But as you start trying to say we work both in VS and outside of VS, you can't have that complexity. Yeah. I mean, even source control has changed in that time, right? I mean, just quite a bit. Yeah. Like everything that we do has changed. So, I mean, it makes sense. So, uh, one other comment I want to say about the project system that will be kind of when you start to think about .NET Core 3 and applying this to client applications, um, you know, one of the... Scott talked about retargeting. We're still, um, you know, definitely... Uh, working with Scott's team, working with uh, some other folks on the VS side to figure out what is the retargeting or upgrade or, you know, modification experience for an existing WinForms or project to move to .NET Core 3. Um, because obviously there's going to be a lot of uh, project system changes like we talked about and we need to make sure that, that uh, you know, apps can get across that that chasm in, in a way that, it, you know, is, is smooth and awesome. But one of the other benefits you'll get once you're there is, um, so right now, if you want to do, uh, use the modern packaging in Windows, the, that new MSIX format, you're going to have to um, use what's, a pack, what's called a packaging project today. So that's kind of a, a standalone yeah. project that, that uh, lives in the solution that you additional to your, your existing project. We want to make that just part of your WinForms and WF project. So you don't well, think about awesome. like, think about like a click once, right? It's just another thing you, and so, um, that will be a thing that we can do once we have the new project system uh, with .NET Core 3. But, you know, we have once, to... Once again, a simplification. Exactly. In the, in the old world, as yep. Mike said, last year with, with, with VS 2017, we added this new mechanism. So you, it used to be, to, to, do, to be centennialized or whatever term you want to put this thing under, you'd have to go read Hanselman's blog. And there was oh. a whole bunch of stuff and had a hand do that stuff. We made it better last year with VS 2017. Yeah, the where there's a packaging right. project, but it means you have your WinForm app then you got to have another project that kind of wraps that project. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, as part of this SDK-style project system, we want to simplify this stuff, let you do it all by hand, which means you shouldn't have to have one of those things. And so yep. Mike and I want to make this thing as simple as right-click, publish, um, check the boxes and stuff that you want, and boom, out comes your thing. I want to make it easy enough that I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you went back, like, one step, like, to Hansman's blog post. That was, like, just doing, like, the make AppX. But, like, yeah, yeah. before that, you actually had to write an installer... Oh yeah, I mean to, to, to run it through Centennial to do that. So I mean, I mean yeah. that that alone has gone from very very hard and technical to do 
to it, it's pretty good, but it's still that one extra step. Let's and you're talking about well, removing that. Yeah, extra I mean it's, step. it's one extra step, but it's also another thing that you really have to think about managing, right? It's another it's another build process, um, and some of the or, mechanisms around how Centennial works. There's some wackiness there too, even with the packaging projects. So. Or, or do you even find it? I mean, the, the, yeah, it's the, true. To, to me, my biggest complaint about the current way it works. How do you know that you have to go add another project to your your solution? Well, obviously, you're your the readers of Scott Hansman's blog. <laughs> but if you, go, if you go to Hansman's blog, it's going to be even worse. You're not going to see that. You're going to see, here's yeah. how to go to CLI yeah, and copy enough. some XML, and uh, good luck to you. Yeah. Yeah, because that blog post is there forever now. <laughs> it's there forever. Yep. So um, one thing I wanted to ask about, too, that I saw that was announced was XAML Islands. So what the heck is that? So XAML Islands is... Um, well, so I'll give you a little, like, a gestation of the feature, then we'll talk about what it is and the kind of motivation for it. So um, with the Desktop Bridge Centennial Desktop App Converter, pick your set, you know, the people taking existing desktop applications and putting them inside of an AppX and starting to get a package uh, ID so they can start calling a lot of the, the Windows 10 APIs. Um, you know, we would talk to customers and say, hey, you can start calling a bunch of the, you know, WinRT APIs once you have a packaging project. Um, and... They looked around and they said, "Hey, that's cool, but like literally fifty percent of the APIs are UI." Yeah, because uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the things in, in the, the modern set are, are XAML APIs, and they said, "Why can't we use those?" Um, on the flip side, as we've been talking to Office about um, you know their UI needs and, and building their applications going forward, like Office is targeting more and more different um, endpoints, right? They, they're building mobile apps, they're building web apps, they're building um, obviously their existing desktop apps, they're building some some of their new apps in UDP. So they kind of have a, a, a suite of apps even on on Windows, and so they've got some desktop UI and some UWP UI, and they're like, we don't want to build our Windows things twice. We only want to build our Windows UI once. Could you please help us give us a native UI that we could write in C++ that we could host in, uh, you know, in our existing Win32 apps and in our UWP apps? And we said, boy, I think we have a thing like that. I mean, basically, the UWP UI stack is effectively a completely native component that can bind with WinRT to any language format. And so, like, that became the kind of seed of, of what this idea of XAML Islands is. And so, basically, it's a new... WinRT API that lets you take any XAML control, either a control that's in the box, a control that you, you build, or a third-party control, and expose it as an HWIND. So then you can use that, and you know, once you have an HWIND, as you guys know, in Windows, mm-hmm. Bob's your uncle, you can kind of party on it. And so, um, <laughs> you know... Party on the island. That will, uh, that will <laughs> let you host this control inside of... Um, you know, if you want to host it inside of Office, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna start using some of these new controls as we're des- kind of designing the evolution of the Fluent UI system yeah. with them. Um, but then we're also building um, some easy to use uh, open source wrapper controls that inherits from from the WinForms control base and the WPF control base to be able to use easily in WinForms and WPF. Think about it like Element Host, right? Like you have in uh, in WinForms for WPF. And then we're also for the controls that we've had the most requests for, like WebView, like uh, the Maps control, like the in-campus yeah. control, the Media Player. Um, and of course, the swap chain panel for DirectX hosting. We're going to go build controls that inherit from that base class that are specifically tuned for that scenario. So it'll feel very much like a native WinForms or WPF control. And we're going to do all that in a, in a GitHub project, uh, open source, and we'll have NuGet packages there. So you can play with these. You can see them. You can edit, edit them and kind of you know, party on that. So hopefully we can take that a step further than what Mike is saying, which is either we build a feature into Visual Studio or into NuGet packages where if a NuGet package contains controls, they just show up in the toolbox... Or we find a way to stick them in the toolbox for you in, in, in Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. What I really want is I want to say if you're a WinForm or a w, w, WPF developer, can't speak, um, you can just, a new section shows up in the toolbox, which is UWP controls. That's cool. Yeah. And you just drag right from there. Yeah. And, and uh, Kevin showed an awesome demo 
on Tuesday about this that, that really resonates with me. He showed an old app, huge form on the screen. You fill a bunch of fields in, and when you're done, you press print. Then you sign it, and then you scan it, and then you email it. <laughs> and that's, that's the old school if you yep. bought a house or a car. Yep. That's kind of the way this stuff works, unfortunately. Um, but he showed a demo where he, he re- killed the print button, and he grabbed a UWP ink control, ah. stuck it in there. Yeah. And so then the workflow was fill the form in, sign with your finger, and press done. Mm-hmm. And you killed the print, you killed the scan. Yep. Um, because now, you know, that's the power of, you know, some of the yeah. benefits of the UWP controls are they, they're enabled for touch and they can let you do inking and stuff like that. And that's a great way to modernize an existing WinForm or WPF application. Yeah, I mean, you're, and your point about the toolbox too, like that, the, the goal behind those wrapper controls is really to make it obvious to use in the way that those platform developers are expect, right? WinForms, like you advertise things, new features show up in the toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, so we want to make sure that things show up in the toolbox. So yeah, we're, we're talking to the, the VS yeah. folks about figuring out how to get NuGet connected to the toolbox in a, in a better way. And this might be like <clears throat> a really stupid question, but I mean, it, it just sounds like this makes it really easy for people to transition as well, right? I mean, it's just, it let, instead of like having this cliff where they have to sort of jump off of it, yeah. they can, I know that they could use the APIs, but now they can start doing XAML. And I mean, just over time, I mean, they're just going to eventually be like, you know what? Like, I have 90% of a UWP. And the, the thing that, I guess the, for me, the real, the magic of the UI widget island, whatever, like the, the section yeah. is it starts to unlock a bunch of new interesting composite scenarios. I mean, you can, you could take it to one extreme and basically say like, I want, you know, an app that's basically a, you know, we're, we're working on adding windowing APIs to UDP, but you know, that we're, we're making a solid first step in, in this year, but you know, it's probably going to be another 18 months before we have the, all of the, the, you know, things that you could do in, you know, 30 years of windowing APIs right. in, in the new model. And so until then, what you could do is just take a WinForms app and, you know, to use the parlance of WinForms, because I worked on that for six years, you could dock fill basically, a, you know, XAML Island inside of it and just do all your, your UI is yeah. UI, but you can use the Win32 um, windowing APIs for, for doing all the windowing things you care about. And of course, because you're, um, you're in just .NET, and that's the cool thing about XAML Islands, it binds to whatever the .NET instance you're just using, all the types just work from a program perspective. And of course, because you're in .NET, you're, um, you have full access to every API in, in the desktop, you can P invoke to anything like it's, you know, it's the kind of Everything of everything, which is the thing that I like about yeah. the desktop, is there's really no limits. It's, it's kind of and. Th- yep. this, re- this reminds me of uh, something we did in the ASP.NET team years ago. We called it 1ASP.NET. And that's, you know, ASP.NET started off with this thing called Web Forms. And then we added MVC, and we added Web API, and we added SignalR. Yep. Um, and, you know, nobody was going to just go throw their entire Web Form app away and do something new. But we enabled you to actually start adding some MVC controllers or Web API controllers to your existing application. And that was huge. It, 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 yeah, it was huge, and it, it yeah. solved a lot of problems because we. Uh, and I hope this tech, if Mike yeah. and I are successful, what will happen here is you'll take your WinForm application or your, your WPF application, and maybe you build some new forms with with with, with XAML, and you yeah. call that good, and you, you know, you can mix and match. Yeah. Use the tech that's best for what you're trying to build. That's yeah, I mean, don't they, feel that you have to go change yeah. everything immediately. That's I think the, what I was asking. Yeah, I mean, I think the ideal endpoint would be, you know, you've got a SDK style project, like, you know, targeting .NET 3 or .NET 4, you know, pick, a, pick your awesome .NET Core version of the future, right? You know, in the year 2000, there'll be flying cars and, and you know, <laughs> and .NET side by side. And you can then, in this project, you know, go add a form or a user control of either WinForms or WPF or UDP and just have those things just be very interchangeable and believable, right? And that's just kind of the, you know, that's why the, choose? Desktop is all about and, you know? So does that even include, like, 
the non-UI, uh, like WinRT and UWP APIs as well? Yeah, we have a decent amount of work to do um, just to make, make it... So the underlying CLR support and .NET support for calling you know, a WinRT API from .NET is actually pretty solid. It works really well. The problem right now is getting, the, getting it set up in VS is a giant pain. Right? You've got to know where your SDK is installed. You've got to go find that union WinMD file. You've got to go reference it. Um, it's just... This, it's not as streamlined as it needs to be, especially if you think about the, you know, the WinForms audience, right? I mean, that's, that's a, a type of developer that just loves simplicity, loves the tools to get out of their way and just really make it super simple. And right now we have a, quite a ways to go to make it, you know I mean? Again, my, once you've got the reference set up, yep. it's really easy to, to use in code. In, but, in my world, obviously I want, in my simplified world, if you saw my, my, the demo we did on Monday and Tuesday, in my CS proj, there was a reference to Windows Forms. There was a reference to .NET Core. Um, I would hope we just say there's a reference to Windows 10, and you're done. You don't have to go yep. figure out something or where an SDK is. Or uh, our 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 job is to make .NET so damn easy to use that you don't you want to use our platform because it's just simple. Yep, of course, Great Mark. And I mean that was <laughs> to, to me that was really the the power and the magic of of VB6 or you know earlier versions of VB and mm-hmm. and WinForms was it just it made it so simple that anyone was a developer, right? I mean, you just, you know, you, you fell off a log and, hey, you're a Windows developer and you're using the UI in the right way, you're, you're packaging the right way, <laughs> right? I mean, no, exactly. It's mine too. And this yeah. is my, the history is like, I was like, I started life in college, you know, doing Unix programming in C++ and I was toiling away. It was just like, you know, to yeah. do the simplest task. And then you see VB for the first time and you're like, oh my God, I've been doing it all wrong. Like, this is just, it's magic. You know, it's, it's not even programming. It's like arts and crafts right, time. Right. And it's fun. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. I was at a customer dim, uh, dinner uh, earlier this week, and I ran into a customer, and, and, and she was telling me that, yeah, we have 4 million lines of VB6 still. Yeah. Um, and it works, and we're not going to change it because it works. Yep. Did you ask her how many go-tos there were? I actually know. <laughs> I actually know of a partner that has more than that, and they wanted assurances that uh, that VB6 would continue to work on Windows 10, which of course it does. Yeah, and <laughs> can you imagine if if well, I mean, come on, think about the compatibility promises in Windows, right? Can you imagine right. if VB6 apps start stop working? Right. <laughs> that that is something I want to make sure we do talk about on the show a little bit. Is if you are a .NET Framework customer and you've heard that we've got this new .NET Core 3 with UI on it, yeah. what does that what does that mean for yeah. Do you, do you have to move your app to .NET Core three? Is .NET Framework going That's away? Those are those are those are things that uh, I want to make sure we address. Yeah. And the answer to that is .NET Framework will never go away. Um, it will still be installed as part of every Windows. Even Windows itself depends on it, so it's not like you can take it out. Um, but our message to those customers: if you have existing apps, you should not feel you have to do anything. Our goal is to make .NET Framework that's inside of Windows break you less. What which I hope this means is we'll do more changing in the .NET Core version and less in .NET Framework, which means the apps you already have built run great, will continue to run great, new Windows updates won't break them, and you'll be in a good place. If you want to modernize your app and take advantage of some of the newer APIs or the Windows 10 APIs or some of these things, performance improvements, size improvements, move your app to Core. 
uh, but there's no requirement or no, no big huge push to move to core. All the XAML Island tech that uh, Mike was talking about, that works in 4.x as well. So you, oh, if, wow. if, you, if, you know, if you don't want to move to core, you don't have to move to core, you're still going to get some of the, the modern browser, the modern media players, uh, bring, it, bring over some new XAM, I mean, uh, UWP controls if you want. So we're just trying to not break that version of .NET as much as we have in the past. So it's going to, but that's really, we've been trying not to break it for the last two years, mm-hmm. even though we still do. Um, but we're going to try even harder not to break it. But you should feel comfortable and safe. That's not going to go away. The support lifecycle is not going to go. Um, it's, this whole conversation is kind of funny to me because we were chatting sometime earlier this week. It's like the VB6 runtime is still there. The ASP.NET active server page runtime yep. <laughs> uh, that predates .NET is still in Windows. ASP.NET. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, you know, the Windows compatibility is amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, like a lot, and a lot of the times that um, the issues that we have, you know, Scott mentions, we try really hard, and we have great compatibility testing. But there's so many apps that enterprises have written that live yep. behind the firewall, and you know, we don't see any telemetry from those boxes. Yeah. We don't, you know, we, well, we just have you, no data. Even on that. internal to Microsoft, I mean, we focus on, you know, thing, cool things like .NET Core, right? And our internal systems, like they don't get a whole lot of attention. So, I mean, that tends to be the case yep. for sure. Um, so, I read that you guys took Paint.NET and migrated to .NET Core. Help me understand like how that worked, and it turned out that it was a lot faster too. So I, I'm I'm really curious how you did this. Um, so some some folks inside the team, mm-hmm. um, we don't actually have the source code for Paint.net, right? Um, but through all the things we were discussing before, mm-hmm. this happens to be the .NET standard brings a bunch of APIs back, okay? Um, and putting WinForms and WPF on top of uh, .NET Core brings those APIs back. It just happens to be. So you just swapped out the platform then. We just swapped the platform out and it just ran. That's awesome. So that's awesome because that's a very <laughs> old application that goes all the way back to the very and beginning of .NET. I mean, it's a big and, app. And so, it, I mean, I'm sure that not all of that has been rewritten over the years. Right. So there's some pretty old code in there. That, that's kind of the cool thing that you know we want to really tell people: this is not a rewrite your app. This is a retargetish kind of experience. And we've been taking. Uh, we took that app and we're able to move it over. Uh, Emo Landworth on my team mm-hmm. has a bunch of internal tools, uh, API analyzer, uh, uh, port- I mean API portability analyzer, and a variety of other tools. All of his tools just worked. Um, so we've actually been able to just take a bunch of code and just move it onto this this stuff, and it just works mm-hmm. because the APIs are there and the frameworks are there, and so it's. Uh, I think for most customers, you're going to find that that same stuff that uh, most of the stuff will just work. The the yeah. It's like taking an old classic car and yeah. you know pulling Put out new the engine, engine and sticking an electric motor and a big battery. It's faster, quieter, more reliable. Good analogy. <laughs> uh, so one of the other things that you guys had on a big slide during the keynote that kind of fits in with all this, I think you know, just deserves just a, a, a brief uh, touching point is ML.net. So what you know, what is that, and you know, how do desktop developers start taking advantage of it? Yeah. So ML.net. Um, came out of, we, we, you know, we were looking at the AI space. I mean, Microsoft all up. You know, if you watch mm-hmm. the keynote was from Satya, um, there's lots of AI throughout all the keynotes. I mean, uh, Google I.O. was also this week, and they talked about AI quite a bit. Yep. Um, we know AI is there. Um, we've been asking ourselves, what's the, what's the right AI story for, for uh, .NET developers? And it just happens to be that we had this internal tool mm-hmm. uh, that was written in .NET years and years ago, that we use for um, the office team uses it, the Bing team uses it, um, a variety of teams in Microsoft use it all over the place. We've been using it for years, and it's pretty good tech. Um, uh, some of the Azure Machine Learning stuff used it as well, um, and we said, hey, what if we just 
took that stuff, open sourced it, and put it out there for .NET developers. Because we, we hear from .NET developers, like, how am I supposed to use AI? What should I do? Mm-hmm. Um, what we're doing, it's, it's, it is a 0.1. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that would probably RTM sometime early next year. Mm-hmm. Um, the main reason it's, even though it's a, a very robust and used internal library for a long time, it's, it was currently written for people that know AI. Um, and what we're trying to do before we actually RTM it is make it usable by regular developers like Mike and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing is, I, uh, I want to make sure I, I am careful here, is a lot of data scientists use Python and R to build data models, I mean, to, to build ML models. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not trying to replace that. Um, we're just saying that if there is a model and you want to consume it in .NET, there should be some awesome APIs that make that really simple to do. Absolutely. Um, and you might actually be a .NET developer that wants to make your own model. Mm-hmm. Um, we showed in, in the keynote, one of the demos that, that I did is um, we wrote a classifier that would take GitHub issues and autom- automatically put them in the right uh, path for you. Um, we basically ran through 16,000 existing issues and it got to read the title and the description of each of those issues. It's pretty good because there's probably a lot uh, of consistency there, I'm guessing. There was. And, yeah. and it, you know, we, so we've done a couple of those things, and we want to make that, those kind of scenarios easy for .NET developers to do. That we have a, there's a whole bunch of sessions that we did at, uh, at, at Build this year on this, and the big thing I've been telling my team to focus on is I don't want to show cameras taking pictures of stuff and doing weird stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's awesome, yeah. but what, what, what do my developers, what, I mean, what is the regular developer going to do? The, um, we have, we have a, a great example we're building. All, there's four of these that we did. We're releasing the source code for all of them. One of them is sentiment analysis. So let yep. you know if there's a negative issue or a negative blog post or negative comments on your docs. Everybody's got something you might want to want to do that on. There's the classifying kind of stuff. Um, so we're, we're trying to put out some some samples that actually we think would attract you know at, at, you know fit most developers. That's very cool. Um, so you know we. W- we talked about like the different versions and I, I know there's like a whole bunch of different pieces to this. So like what is available today and then what will be available shortly and what will be available down the road? So in the .NET world, we shipped uh, .NET Core 2.1 RC um, on Monday this week. Yeah. We plan to RTM that, I hope, by the end of the month. Okay. Based on the feedback from the RC, if it's good, it'll be the end of the month. If, if, it's, if, if we need a little bit more time, maybe it rolls into the first or second week of June. Uh, for the .NET Core 3 stuff... Um, everything we showed was real. So any demos that were shown were actually really, you know, you, you, there's no fakery there at all. Um, so you, you, see, you can see we have it working. Yeah. Um, but the biggest things that we didn't show are using the new project system um, and making the designers work with the new project system. So there's some, there's some big gaps there okay. uh, that we still have to address. Uh, I hope to have a preview out um, by the end of the year. Okay. So from, and from the Windows side, um, specifically related to .NET, uh, core, there's a, a decent chunk of work um, to make WPF uh, side by sideable. Mm-hmm. There's there's quite a bit of tendrils that that has in the, in the operating system because there's a very large native layer that's you know kind of underneath all the managed APIs. So there's the, you know there's a bunch of work that we're going to be you know we've been collaborating with uh, you know Scott's team on making sure that that work gets done. Um, so that'll you know help to help us get to that preview. Um, on the XAML Islands front, that is a API that will be shipping in the next update to Windows. So the one that's later, 2018, okay. um, whatever the PR team will decide to call it. Who knows? <laughs> the, is it the October release now? Since we can't say fall or spring. Well, but or, they don't want to use that. They don't like months because that then it like what if it misses the month and it, it, they're just like, like it's <laughs> the next version. It's seriously the like, next. We, we want to call it. We want to call it 
a season, but we can't call it a season because seasons are different in every in every, yeah, every part of the world. Yeah, exactly. so, right. fall, it's it's too North American. It's like, oh my goodness. So, are we, are we down to like Q three or Q four? That's I mean, that's how uh, that's how Harv the um, the VP PM who who like kind of does a lot of the the windows planning. He's been calling him like first half eighteen, second half of eighteen or 19, whatever. But we'll, so we'll see what they end up being called. Anyways, the one that will come out before December of yep. 2018, um, sometime before that, we'll have the XAML Islands API inside of it. It will be a preview at that point. There's definitely um, a handful of, of issues and things to be aware of. Um, those control wrappers that I mentioned that you know will be yep. targeted for the most common controls for WinForms and WPF, that's what I like to call the easy button for 2018. So that's what you should kind of stick with. It, to start to do custom controls or third-party controls, there's a bunch of other interesting... Uh, caveats and gotchas there's some things around localization and resource loading that are we have to go solve so that'll be something that we'll, we'll really nail in, in 2019 kind of in the wave of, of .NET Core 3 so yeah. th- those two things will kind of really reach you know a maturity level together um, we're hoping next year um, from the packaging front uh, we talked about MSIX packages that'll definitely also be part of the .NET Core 3 yeah. project system we also um, for repackaging existing applications we're, we're taking the current desktop app converter and um, kind of injecting that with a, a big boost of both UI support so you mm-hmm. can have UI to package things so you don't have to be a developer to, to figure out the command line. Um, and we're a- also adding this new uh, packaging support framework to let you um, basically remap certain calls that, that an app might make in install time that will, if it's putting, um, if an app or installer is putting things in certain locations in the OS that are mm. particularly brittle yeah. and known to get stomped on by either OS updates or other apps, we can kind of help take care of that without having the code for an application we'll just take your existing MSI and kind of apply a packaging support framework to it and inside of your MSIX. And so that's a, a new IT packaging tool that will be coming out. Um, there'll be the first version of it this year. There'll be, you know, a, a really significant update to it next year as well. So wow. that's kind of some of the big, you know, yeah, lots of features works. coming through. Very cool. Is there anything else that you guys want to mention that we might not have talked about yet? Uh, the only other one I w- I'd want to talk about is uh, we we showed another prototype um, in the in the in the talk, and that was Blazor, um, and that's some really cool tech that I I hope to uh, get a release out you know soon on, and that basically is is being able to run WebAssembly yep. uh, to run C Sharp uh, in the browser, um, so you basically can load .NET in the browser, and the the example of Blazor that we showed was a a web app where Instead, what you normally would call JavaScript, you can just call C Sharp instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all run native. So it runs, it's got native perf. It runs in the sandbox of the browser. Um, and so it's, it's pretty awesome because you can write basically .NET on the client and the server. You don't require a JavaScript framework like Angular, or React, or Vue. Um, and the programming that you know today just kind of works. And yeah, I've, been able, cool. I've been able to do stuff with Blazor that I never would have thought I could do. It's like all the things you see the JavaScript guys do now I just write some C-sharp and it just works and I don't know why it works, but it just works. <laughs> um, and it's amazing. Um, and yeah. so I think that's an exciting piece that uh, we've, we've been showing it for about six months now. Yep. And every time we show it, it, it gets a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, and so I, um, you know, Google.net and Blazor and, and try those bits out because they're pretty, pretty Yeah, amazing. we had a whole show on it and like, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing what you can do with that. So it's really cool. Uh, yeah, I think WebAssembly is going to, be absolutely huge and yeah. you know WebAssembly won't just be .NET it'll be you know you're going right. to see Python Go Java every, everybody's going to be there it's, I think it's yep. going to it's amazing the browser's now kind of become the universal place where you have the sandbox the app can run inside of it can run all these different lang- languages natively and I think you're just going to build with the tech you it's the best tech for the job yeah 
You know, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's really going to blur the lines between client and web programming. Like, I think it will. I mean, I, there's, they're already really blurring, but I think yeah. as soon as you have WebAssembly, you're going to be like, wait, what's running where now? And I think, <laughs> I think you're really going to start yeah. to I mean, you know, we, not we, worry about it. We've had crazy conversations, Mike and I, what if you could run UWP mm-hmm. in that? Well, then your UWP application runs inside of the browser on the Mac, on the iPhone, right. on the Android device. Boom. I mean, that's, that's a combination <laughs> of UWP controls plus Blazor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's web, but it's enhanced with native controls. Uh, yeah. There's, it's like mix and match like all the things that you want from like each technology. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Like I mean, definitely. You know, there's there's a lot of cool ideas we have, and mm-hmm. a lot of cool tech that we have that can be used and repurposed in interesting ways. And I think we, you know, we have to go have some fun discussions about how to use things and you know how you want to align the strategy. You should bring up open sourcing. That's a good point too. Yeah. Um, so. It's so one question that you guys didn't mention, yep. um, which a lot of customers have asked, uh, which is, well, you're, you're moving WinForms and WPF on top of .NET Core. I thought everything in .NET Core is open source. Are you open sourcing <laughs> WinForms and WPF? It's a logical yeah. you know, set of jumps to make. And it is absolutely something that we're talking about internally. Okay. Um, the uh, kind of along the lines of, of some of the stuff I mentioned around WPF having that giant native layer, mm-hmm. there is, um, we, do, we have to figure out what's the right, layer there and you know that will a lot of that work will kind of go hand in hand with figuring out how to make it side by side because mm-hmm. really thinking about the, the the decoupling it from the operating system is going to help us like figure out what where that layer for open source would need to be um i definitely think it's it's another thing that uh you know because in the kind of new reorg universe with with scott and jason i think mm-hmm. we're going to be a lot more responsive to customer requests and customer feedback and um pretty much the number one, uh, you know, customer request. Um, if you, if you go look at, you know, feedback up or any place for WPF is please open source WPF. Yeah. So we want to listen to customers. Um, we've heard them loud and clear. Yeah. I think we just have to go now figure out the right way to respond to that. Okay. That's very cool. Well, every time I talk to you guys, I get so excited about .NET. So thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about all the great stuff that's going into there. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks. It's been a good conversation. Mm-hmm.